and welcome to this episode of the Growth Strategist podcast. I'm really, uh, really happy to be introducing Peter Winnick. Peter, how are you? How are you? Thank you. It's great to see you. So, so you're from, so you're the founder and CEO of Thought Leadership Leverage. You work with New York Times bestselling authors, business schools, Hall of Fame members, recipients of Thinker 50 awards. So you're basically kind of the, the thought leader's thought leader. That's the way I think about it. So it's great to see you. So maybe in the first five minutes or so, if you can give the, 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 the audience a bit of a background on you and how you got to what you're doing today. Sure. Well, I'll give you a, a, short, a short answer and then a longer answer. I had a, a client a couple of years ago that uh, left me a quick voicemail on his way uh, running between meetings. He said, oh, Peter, I got to introduce you to someone. I know you can help them. And, I, and uh, uh, I didn't really have time to explain it all. So I just said, you're like Jerry Maguire for nerds. So <laughs> I'm like, okay. I, at first, I didn't know if that was a compliment or an insult, but I took it as, as a compliment. Uh, maybe it wasn't intended that no, way. It was, so, it I mean, my short story is yeah. <laughs> my short story is this: there were really two sort of sides to me that I thought were totally separate and distinct that I realized uh, weren't. Uh, so that is number one, entrepreneurial. So I've always loved since I was a kid yep. starting businesses, figuring out how to how to make a profit, figuring out how to enter a market, growth, marketing, yep. all that fun stuff. Always loved it. And then the other side is because um, you know I started my first quote, real business at 22. And um, A, I didn't even know there were things like third-party consultants that can help me figure out things I didn't know. Yeah. And then B, even if I did, I wouldn't have had the resources to pay those folks. So yeah. I was always consuming a ton of, ton of content. I was, you know, yeah. two, three business books a week, magazines, remember those, yeah. nonstop. So always consuming content. And then, I, I, uh, uh, long story short, but I was recruited to do a turnaround uh, for a communications consulting company based in Australia that a friend of mine was running. He, he got brought in to be the CEO. I was the number three. Yeah. And um, their core product was a presentation skills uh, program that had been yeah. written years and years before. And in those days, it was delivered as a two-day workshop. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This company makes money with ideas and thoughts and thought leads. Like, oh, that. and I never... Yeah. In all my years, and I think like most people, you buy a book, you read the book, you enjoy the book, you don't think about, how does that person make a living? Because who yeah. cares, right? But yeah. those two worlds came together. I'm like, I really love this because I can apply sort of the creativity of an entrepreneur with yeah. the, the, the fun and the problem solving and the intellectual gravitas of thought leadership. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, fast forward, here I am. So this is, this, uh, it's in the world of a Venn diagram, I found my uh, overlap. So. <laughs> and I totally get that. I mean, you know, we came from different beginnings but you know I started life as a lawyer and then CEO and in the last seven or eight years I've run my own coaching consulting facilitation mentoring business but I've also been an entrepreneur and and you know I do all that stuff hands-on but I also have an e-learning business but what I really love is the is the business side of it so it's getting the clients mm -hmm. it's attracting the clients it's it's finding the right channels to sell the products I, I enjoy that as much as the content creation and probably more than the delivery so for me it's it's the entrepreneurial spirit so in terms of the sort of clients you work for, what, what, what are the sort of the clients who come to you, right? And, and how broadly speaking do you work? I mean, what do you look for when somebody comes to you? Are there certain people after four seconds or two minutes you think, no, they're not right for me? So yeah. what oh, are yeah, the clients yeah. and how do you figure this out? Yeah, so there's our traditional group that we work with and we work with really well because we've been doing it for 15 years. And then there's sort of some new things that we're doing. So traditionally, the clients that we work with are thought leaders, um, academics, a handful of academics at places like Wharton and Yale and London yeah. School of Business, um, consultants, small to mid-sized consultants, could be 
you know, one man or one woman show up to yeah. maybe $20 million operation, maybe 30 yeah. um, authors, speakers, CEOs. Yeah. So uh, common thread is that it, the content is good and it yeah. has an application in the business world. Um, what we're horrible at and wouldn't even attempt is direct to consumer. Hey, I've yeah. got to get rich quick program, weight loss, love and relationships. Yeah. Anything that's direct to consumer, um, don't call. We don't know what to do. It's very easy to maintain, very hard to maintain your reputation if you go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, we haven't even been tempted because I wouldn't even know where to start, quite frankly. Yeah. I, I mean, a, a, I have no interest in that space and I have no expertise. So, there, I mean, yeah. much, much luck doing that as I would being a brain surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what we look for is someone that is, their content is good. And yeah. that's a subjective term. Good could be based on research. Good be, could be based on how the market resonates. Good could be it's clever. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's crafty. It's good. I haven't seen it exactly said that way before. Yeah. Because on the one hand, there's nothing new under the sun. On the other hand, you have to put things out there in a way that are a better mousetrap. Yeah. Um, we look for some proof of concept. So just because you think you're brilliant doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, what are the types of responses you're getting from the content? Have you put it out there? And it doesn't need to be incredibly commercially successful, yeah. but sometimes you can tell from a handful of emails or anecdotes, or let me tell you a story about a coaching client, whatever, and yeah. can it scale? Because yeah. it's all about scale. What happens is the way that we help our clients most effectively monetize is not getting them more gigs. So we're not a speaking yeah. agent or, or any of that sort of stuff. Yeah. If you're looking for someone to get more gigs, that's sort of a secondary effect of yeah. working with us, but it's not the primary objective. We're looking at it going, would a client at a large organization fall in love with that individual and their content and, and this is the key end, be grateful that it comes in scalable deliverables, yeah. right? So that, you know, if somebody falls in love with you, Simon, they can say, great, okay, I can bring you in and pop you in over here and over there and over yeah. there. But I have, you know, 73,000 people on staff. How can I give yeah. them derivatives of Simon world unless it's digitized for me yep, or could exactly. be digitized or represent a scalable cost-effective yep. solution. Yeah. I, I, I get all of that. And it's interesting, you know, being over here in Ireland and I work predominantly here in Ireland in the UK, a little bit in the Middle East. And I, you know, I spent 10 years in Australia. There are so many coaches and consultants I'm seeing who think they can go along this journey. Right. And, and think they're going to be the next thought leader. And, and, and not that I, you know, I'm not the global guru in this stuff, but but I'm starting to see patterns because I'm spending time with people like Marshall Goldsmith sure. and John Matone. And, yep. and, some of, and I think some of those, the biggest patterns are not chase everything, you know, and almost, almost without being arrogant, stand away from the crowd, stand away from all others, all those coaches and consultants who are scrabbling around and, and have a bit of aura about you. Human beings love, yeah. it's all about perception as well, isn't it? You know, you, you've, got, you've got to have the material, like you have to have the material, otherwise you're a sure. But you also have have to have a certain aura, and I've seen it myself. I mean, since doing the you know this thought leader, the couple of thought leadership podcasts, my LinkedIn followers have almost almost doubled in two months. Right? I yeah. haven't changed. My material hasn't changed. There's a perception, right? So what is it about that? Is it that we just we we want to follow what we feel is the next thought leader? What is it about that? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things about that. So let me unpack it. Number one, there's self selection. Right. So what you don't want to be is a thought leader that's burdened with a conversion process. So in your world, for example, if somebody comes along and does not believe in a growth mindset, yeah. could you convince them, convince them and change their mind and show them? That, yeah, but that's a lot of work and you don't get paid for that. Exactly. So when someone comes to you and says, 
wow, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in the growth mindset. That's been a big part of how I look at the world and how I work it. Okay, yeah. you're, you, you know, you're already warm and, and comfortable. You have this common belief. You have this yeah. common perspective of the world. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big piece. It's, it's, you know, if I'm in a consumer packaged goods business and, and I have to convince people that my brand of cereal is better than the other one, yeah. you know, that's going to take zillions of marketing dollars. I'd rather just say, how can I connect with you in an emotional level and an intellectual level? At a, yeah. yeah, I'd love to, you know, where it feels like I would love to have a cup of coffee and just talk about this with you. Yeah, right? yeah. What, how do we resonate? That's number one. Number two is the way to get to most is to get to few. And what I mean by that is some people, um, rightfully so, might say, well, my content, you know, growth mindset, everybody can benefit from the growth mindset. I mean, this is really applicable to, yeah. you know, newly minted managers, to recent grad school kids, everybody, to CEOs. Yeah. And the problem with that is that's wonderful, but unless you're Coca-Cola or Procter & Gamble or Unilever, you don't have the budget to market to everybody. Yeah, yeah. So I'd rather get really tight and really focused and say, yes, although yeah. theoretically this could apply to everyone, where I can be most impactful yeah. and where I can find them is getting your client avatars defined really tightly. And yeah, you know, right. to your comment about LinkedIn, the, the tighter the niche, the easier it is to grow and the easier yeah. it is to find them. Yeah. And I've seen that because, you know, just even down to the, you know, the heading and the image at the top of mine, it says growth strategies. I only put that up two months ago before it was, you know, I drive business leadership, personal brand growth. I'd say nearly everybody switched off before the second word, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, so. Well, cause it feels like I've read that 22 times on a, on a mission statement. Somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, in terms of, you know, what's happening right now in the world, you know, this is a real circuit breaker, right? No, there's not going to yeah. be a human being. Yeah who's going to forget 2020, mainly for negative reasons, right? <laughs> and yeah. so how, how do you think that, how do you think this year might change or accelerate trends that have been happening before in the whole thought leadership area? Will, for example, sure. will, there be more, will there be more gender balanced stuff? Will there be more, will there be softer stuff? Will there be more courageous thought leadership? What, what do you anticipate? So it's going to be drastic. So I think number one is to realize we're not in a resume situation. We're in a reboot and reinvent situation. Yeah. So initially when this hit, everybody said, okay, when this will be over unknown period of time, we'll just hit resume, you know? Yeah. So wherever we were in February, it's like I was watching Netflix, got up to get a snack and just boom. No, it's like, you know, you were watching star Wars and come back and now it's Batman. I mean, it's yeah. a totally different game. I agree. What that requires though, because it's not just picking up where we left off. Usually things happen and their interruptions to the normal flow. This is redefining the world. Yeah. Um, so number one, you have to take an objective look at your content and say, is my content in vogue in demand is relevant anymore? Because let's, yeah. let's just go back to February and say, what well, content has a cyclical nature that parallels the economic cycle. So the yeah. things that were in vogue, the things that were in demand is war for talent. Well, guess what? We're not in a war for talent anymore. The employee experience. I can't afford to invest in the employee experience, but I don't know if I have customers, right? Yeah. Um, collaboration, team building. Not that that stuff is bad or no longer valuable. Yeah. It just can't be where I spend my, my scarce resources. Yeah. So you gotta have, you know, so is your content relevant? If not, figure out how to make it closer to impact, to ROI, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so that's the first piece. Second piece is the modality. Wait, if I was only delivering my stuff as a keynoter in person or workshops or anything that required face-to-face, -face, I better figure out the modality and yeah. not just saying, hey, I'm able to now do it on Zoom, hit record, but to reinvent the whole experience and rethink it. Because not everything goes from big stage, 500 people to yeah. an intimate gathering on a digital platform. Yeah. Um, the last thing I would add is I think that if we were to look 
forward five or 10 years and assume we all get out of this healthy and, you know, not, not discounting any of those things that are real yeah. variables today and look back, I think to oversimplify, we'll say all, all COVID did was accelerate everything that was happening everywhere, everywhere. Like yeah. work from home is not new. We've been talking about it for 20 years. We all were forced to do it if we weren't, you know, yeah. distance learning, not new, far better. So all the yeah. things that we had the luxury of not having to dive in, yeah. we had to dive in to survive and we'll keep the good, you know, yeah. and realize like, actually, when I do go back to a workplace, if I do, and the times that I do it, it might not be mm. Monday to Friday anymore. I want to take advantage of yeah. you and I being in the same room, Simon, not sit next to you and put exactly. my headphones on and ignore you all day. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I, I recently wrote an article for Irish Tech News and it was very well regarded. And I was talking about the fact that, you know, World War II, the space race, and this period inevitably will be seen as the three periods of acceleration. You know, this definitely will be seen as a period of, you know, reframe and, and readjust, but really acceleration. And, you know, imagine, you know, imagine, I can't imagine all those millions of people around the world getting into their, their, their you know, their damp car in the morning and, and driving two hours to work and driving two hours home every day of the week. Like, like, why, why would you allow yourself to do that when most things have been functioning without that, you know, and, uh, and, and then the other thing, so I do think, I do think there's going to be real dynamic changes. And the other thing is this whole online world, right? So as you, first of all, imagine if this had happened 15 years ago before we had, oh, would have been a, imagine we'd all be like even Martian. five years ago, five I mean, years, even ago. five years ago, you know, go to meeting. I don't know who owns them now was an awful solution that we struggled with. And, you know, I, I was aggressively using Zoom for about a year and a half pre-COVID because it was yeah. just an easy tool, it you know, is. just a good, easy tool. Slack, Dropbox. We have so many tools that we take for granted, which is the ultimate compliment for a tool where you don't even know it's there. Yeah, yeah. So I would say even five years ago, this would have been a mess. I know, I know. And, and adaptability, is, adaptability is a huge thing, you know, and I, I spent the last three months, I've lived, you know, I've written stuff and I've done all this great stuff, but I, I basically locked myself away in learn new digital skills and live streaming and zoom and online courses and stuff. And, and I think people are going to see that they, you know, for example, online, right? People were very cynical about the fact, can you really communicate online? And I, I was talking to Ted Rubin, one of my guests, CMO of Fortify. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and he, I think yep. it was he who said that in some respects, it's easier to trust somebody quicker online because you and I, we're not distracted. We're looking at just each other. There's no noise going around. And, and we've already done a bit of research to get here. So in some respects, even though you think you have to be face to face, there's more known, there's, there's less nonsense with this. It's straight to the point, you get it done and you go. So I think, I think our attitudes towards technology will improve, you know, as, as a tool, it's not going to solve everything. So it's interesting. So in, if you were going to whisper sort of two or three words of wisdom to a future thought leader, somebody who is, somebody who was sort of a middle thought leader right now, but you saw something in, in them, right? And you thought, you know, they could be the next Sally Helgerson or Marshall Goldsmith or somebody like that. Mm -hmm. What two or three words of wisdom would you tell them to set them up for success? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I would say clarity would be one. You got to be really clear. Yeah. Because many, many thought leaders suffer from or are blessed with, depending on your perspective, a mild case, if you will, of ADHD. They're creatives. They like to do I stuff. Agree. I agree. And, and unlike a normal business, you know, if you're in the real estate business, you build assets and then those assets have to yield the dividend. You have to rent them, sell them, et cetera. 
in this space, you have the ability to build a bunch of assets and maybe yeah. only get paid for them once. And then most of your assets are sitting idle most of the time. That's a dumb business model. So I, yeah. I would say clarity. So you know how to extract value. Yeah. And then I would say being um, deliberate and specific about who you want to serve yeah. and understand how they, not you, how they pr prefer to be served. Because if you prefer, you know, you, even in format, many people came up the ranks as writers, like real writers, that not, not, you know, that literally writing 60,000 words in a book, studying and, you know, three years of that. And yeah. that's all fine and dandy. The depressing statistic I just heard recently is that the average book on Amazon, nobody gets past the 18th page. Totally depressing. So yeah. you can continue to write books and, I'm not, and I'm, I love books. Or you can say, I also have to meet them where they are and dabble in short form video, yeah. which I have a beginner's mind. And I think the curse of the thought leader is, oh my God, it's been so long since I had the beginner's mind and I'm going to look yeah. like a fool or I don't know what I'm doing or whatever. But yeah. you have to go out of your way and out of your comfort zone to meet your target market where they are in the way that they prefer to consume content. Uh, I agree. And, and with that, you've summed up the reason I'm doing these podcasts is that, and this is the second series, the first series is called the inspired by series. And this is the growth strategist series is that, you know, there are so many thought leaders out there and, and people like you, and yet there are so many disenfranchised people, people who can't afford to connect with them or don't have the mm -hmm. confidence or, or don't live in that world. And my ambition is to try and connect the two a little bit. You know, I'm not a, I'm not an evangelist, but um, sure. everybody deserves to hear like what you've just said in the last 20 minutes. Everybody deserves to hear this because there are people out there who could be, will be inspired by what you say. So that's very important. And, and this is in 20 minute sound bites. So it's very important. So if somebody, if somebody needs to, to find out more about your work, uh, Peter, and, and, and about what you do, how do they find out? Yeah, best thing is go to the website, thoughtleadershipleverage.com. And you can email me directly if you'd like at peter at thoughtleadershipleverage.com. And we also have the podcast you could listen to and everything's on the site. Perfect, and, uh, perfect. Well, it's been great talking to you and thanks so much. And uh, I, I'll definitely be keeping in touch and, uh, and keep safe. <laughs> Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Bye. Bye.